So hello everyone, my name is, as always, it still is Aero Kilpi, I, ha- I have a cold, so I might sound funnier than I, than I usually do sound, and who do we have we here? I can see, I, I, at least I can see Risto here. Hi, good morning, Risto here, and uh, we have uh, Brian McWilliams with us today, and I'm super excited for this episode. Um he uh he sent me his book a long time ago um and it's about russian banya which which even i'm a sauna fan and you'll find out in this episode why russian banya is so uh near and dear to my heart as well even though i don't know tons about it and uh sam how's it going doing well doing well another uh great episode lined up here of the upper bench i'm looking forward to learning about the russian banya too i know enough to be dangerous but i'd love to learn a little bit more and i think our listeners will too you know me being a wood fired you know sauna guy i I think there's going to be a lot of uh things that translate well and maybe some things that uh maybe i'd like to incorporate someday but yeah brian thanks uh thanks for joining us oh it's my pleasure it's good to meet you as well Virtually, absolutely. <laughs> so, so Brian, you you wrote this book. Tell tell about the book and tell about the process that that uh, that um, made you write the book in the first place. The uh, the uh, with light steam, obviously, is the name of the book. So, so how did you you lived in Russia, right, for many years? Yeah, I moved there. Um, it's funny. I I need reading glasses now. I use them on the computer. So. Um, I don't know, but I don't really need them for anything other than reading. And I, anyway, I might just move in and out between classes. They make you look uh, more professional. Leave them on. Yes. Okay. Maybe <laughs> a little smarter. I need some help. Um, so I was, uh, before I moved to Russia in 1996, I guess that sounds like a long time ago now. I was a reporter in the United States. I worked for uh, large newspapers in Philadelphia and Southern California. And I mostly covered courts. I uh, wrote a lot about accidental and in- intentional death. And um, at some point, um, you know, I had realized uh, in Southern California, it wasn't my calling, as it were. Uh, you know, I, I don't know how, you know, everyone has a, a sort of innate feeling um, if you're on the sort of right path or if you're not. And I knew not for all, I didn't have all the answers. I didn't know why necessarily, but I knew I wasn't, what I was doing wasn't what I was necessarily supposed to be doing. And I kept, I started sort of to cast, sort of casting around. And the closest I felt like I had to leave the country, I'd wanted always to live, try living abroad and uh, learn another language. I thought it would be Spanish, but, uh, and so I had a friend, a reporter from Philadelphia as well, who was already in Russia and he came to visit me in LA one night and, we had a little bit too much wine, probably, and it's a great conversation. And he's like, Brian, why don't you make a break? Why don't you come to Russia? If it doesn't work out, maybe go somewhere else. And it was an interesting time. So I did. I gave um, two weeks notice. And uh, well, I got my visa. Then I gave two weeks notice and moved to Russia. And so I didn't have any plans. Like, I'm not a Russophile. I don't, I didn't have like a great love for Russia, although I had been there as a college student um, in the Soviet Union in 1988. So, and I've read a lot of Russian literature and translation, but I'm not a, um, 
you know, I didn't, I wasn't invested necessarily in Russian culture or the, I didn't even know what the Banya was. And so in 1996, I moved there and in just before winter and, um, you know, I, Eero would know, of course, and you guys and, and from Minnesota would know. I mean, I grew up in the southern New Jersey, Philadelphia area. And, you know, we have real four seasons here. Well, we used to. Now there's not so much snow, but uh, uh, we don't have the long winters and the dark, the more months of dark darkness that, you know, northern climates have. And so uh, it's a long winter and it was a chaotic period in Russia and it was very exciting, but also kind of intimidating sometimes, kind of chaotic, very chaotic. And, you know, people were in a lot of distress. There was a lot of um, change happening in the culture and a lot of people were struggling. And uh, I, one day, my, my friend, he was doing a story for a magazine out of the UK on Russian bats. And he's like, why don't you come along? And I would be the photographer. Years ago, I used to be a photographer also for newspapers. And uh, so I went, and uh, this is in Moscow. And it was uh, kind of magical because it was something I didn't really realize at the time it was happening. But after the two or so hours of steaming, um, I left. I remember coming back on the street and being among people again, I remembered whatever it was that I was sort of carrying with myself, uh, a sort of heaviness, whatever emotionally, it was gone. And I had noticed it leave. <laughs> and it was like, wow, you know, like it was this lightness. Uh, you know, I even could see it in the mirror before I left, you know, uh, in the corridor, there's a mirror. And I could see even my face, like there was like more blood in it. I looked a little younger. <laughs> and... Uh, Ah, it was sort of transportive, really. And this is only my very first time. Uh, until then, the only sort of steam culture I knew was when my grandma would take me as a little boy to the local YMCA. And they had a very steamy, you know, foggy one of those steam rooms where old guys from, I think, Eastern Europe uh, would shave in the steam room with women. And, you know, like, and then they would just go all over the floor. It was kind of a different experience. So, um, and then I, I discovered uh, that historically, you know, people, some people, not all people in current Russia, um, but would steam once a week, usually Saturday is the steam day. And it becomes, it wasn't on some level, it was just uh, a way to keep clean and keep away some illness. But it was also, it's kind of like a survival ritual. And uh, at least that's what it became for me. I don't want to say survival as in life or death, but kind of, you know, like it's mm -hmm. uh, um, and it became really important to be able to sort of cope with all the change, uh, even though I didn't have it as bad as some people, of course, in Russia, maybe probably most Russians, because I always had a way out if I potentially needed it. Um, but they were not so easy times, uh, even for someone like me. Uh, and so uh, we started going once a week. Um, and uh, it was so interesting and compelling and felt so good that uh, I started, well, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I, I realized um, that after I was in Russia for almost 12 years, I ended up there. I didn't plan to stay anywhere than a year. And I realized toward the end that it was a great lens through which to deliver Russia to readers. 
And also there had been no books um, in really any language, uh, certainly this way, told this way, as like a sort of memoir, um, delivering the Banya culture to readers. So um, that's me. one of the reasons I wrote it. Sorry for the long answer, by the way. No, no, I didn't no, no. Talk so long. This is exactly what we are here for. But let me just uh, interrupt you there for a second. Um, you know, a couple of things. First of that, that you know, you went there for a year and ended up being there for twelve years. I know exactly the feeling. I came to New York for two years and it's been twenty-five years now. So it's just like okay. things ha- things do happen. One thing is very interesting in your story. Well, many things are very interesting in your in in your story, but one thing particularly. So. So they they we are blessed nowadays. There are very interesting and good sound books coming out. You know, not daily, but but quite often. And we actually one of the previous episodes that we had was we were interview interviewing this this British lady uh, Emma O'Kelly, who just came out with a with a new book. Now she writes in her book that it 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 takes it can take like up to seven different sauna visits or banya visits in this case before you actually get hooked to it your body starts understanding the heat and we're not talking about the like the american uh, gym sauna experience we're talking about the real deal so so but but i if i understood right about you know what you just told us is that you were like instantly hooked so it didn't have any grace period there you just went for it yeah but it it wasn't it was just, um, you know, being open. Uh, I didn't know what to expect. And um, that was part of the thrill about being in Russia back then. And I think it could be in almost any country. Uh, I didn't speak Russian at the time. Um, and it was, uh, you know, you know, I've been back in the States for more than 10 years now. And like... And I do have uh, uh, one of the, the sort of portable saunas, tent saunas that I have in the backyard. Um, I bring out food periods. I'll keep it up for a week and a half, take it down for a little while, bring it up. And I also have a Russian style banya outside Philadelphia, which I think, well, it's definitely one of the best stoves in the United States. Some days it's hard to imagine there's a better stove. And um, uh, so I have opportunities for what I experienced for the first time really in Russia. But, you know, we do all these things to, to, to cope with life. Right. I mean, there are different escapes uh, that are, can be fun. They can also be bad for our health. (laughs) Um, We can be mindful. We can exercise this and that. I, I just remember showing up at the Banya and it happens with the sauna too. And, you know, of course I, we can talk about that later too. I've, I've steamed in Finland. I used to go to Finland quite often. And um, it's something, the thing that struck me most or among the, the biggest things was that it's something that just happened to me, happens to us. Like I didn't have to do anything. There was someone who made the steam um, every 15 or 20 minutes. Uh, he He's actually in my book. Uh, he's in the first chapter, the steam master. Uh, and uh, cause I ended up going for years. So, Every you might have four steams an hour and I would just show up and it just happens to you and you get transported uh, or you don't, you know, every steam is different. Sometimes it'd be two hours before I felt that sort of um, endorphin high or that runner's high, that sort of ecstasy. You sort of feel um, euphoria. 
Uh, and then sometimes I wouldn't, you know, every time you arrive in a different body, but I just loved how um, I didn't have to try. In fact, you don't, you shouldn't try <laughs> and you just sit there and stuff happens and your body sort of takes what it needs or gets what it can um, that day that you're there. And then, you know, next week it's a different story. And it's, it was like a reset. It enabled me, it kind of almost, it reset from the week that was and sort of set me up for the week to come. And uh, for two hours, uh, and it was maybe 45 minutes travel underground to get there half hour. That's a small investment in your life for such a big, um, you know, of time for such a big benefit. So, so I think we should maybe stop here for our listeners because we've we've mentioned Banya, but we haven't gone into a lot of details, and they may not be super familiar with it. So, I have a couple of questions. You know, like what what is a Banya for people that are familiar with sauna? And then we'll go into maybe the second question, which is the what is the difference between the two? Because I'm constantly hearing conflicting information about that. Um. I did too for a lot of years and, you know, Finland's, well, a fairly big country in some ways geographically, but small population. And you would think that Russia being a former empire twice (laughs) and with all its resources would have done a heck of a lot more research on the Banya. Um, But it really by and large collectively hasn't. I mean, I scoured my book is a memoir, but I researched the hell out of it because, um, I knew certainly in Russian circles, uh, they would think, well, what's an American got to say about something Russian? You have to be even Russian to even appreciate it. You know, there's a lot of that, you know, Russia, you have that empire complex, which we're obviously seeing in uh, Ukraine right now and not only, but you also have an inferiority complex and they coexist. It's a very interesting dynamic. And so I studied the hell out of it. I thought if someone's going to find fault with this book, it's not because I didn't research and um, so I do have endnotes in the back, but it doesn't read like, I hope it doesn't read like a textbook. Although I researched it, I thought like, make sure I had the basis covered like a textbook. So some of the best research, it turns out, about the origins of the Banya um, is from the Russian Academy of Sciences. And uh, Finland actually has more research on the sauna than Russian, Russia has on the Banya. That's what another thing I wanted to say. But if you take both... Um, sweat cultures, steam cultures, that back to their roots. There's basically no difference between a Russian banya and a Finnish style, a Finnish sauna. You know, um, in Finland, it's the Savu sauna, the smoke sauna. In Russian, there's the Kornaya banya. Uh, that means a smoke banya. But mostly they don't use, Russians won't use Kornaya. They'll use like um, Chornaya, which is black. And it's called a black banya because... The earliest saunas and the earliest banyas didn't really have stoves. And you guys know this. I'm sure you've covered it a zillion times on the podcast, right? It was more like a pile of rocks and no chimney, you know, and you heat it up, you heat it up. The smoke escapes through, you know, maybe it's not the most tightly built structure. They usually aren't uh, through cracks between the boards, through the door, through the door, through any windows. And usually everywhere above the door jam at the top is black from soot, you know, and you, you heat it up, you heat it up, you let it air out a little bit. So, uh, ideally you would sort of swab the walls to get rid of some of the effects of the carbon monoxide. Cause it can give you a bad headache. I've had a black banya headache before. It doesn't feel good. I guess it's a poisoning to some degree. 
Uh, and um, so there's really no difference. And in fact, the Russian Academy of Sciences traces it back to what the area, uh, what's now Estonia, uh, you know, Western Russia, which used to be Finland, uh, you know, before the Winter War, Karelia, and Eastern Finland. So, um, and it predates recorded history. So you can't know perfectly where the, where the origin was, but the difference is, so structurally, there's no difference. Uh, there's a difference in how they're, in Russian, you would say exploited. <laughs> Exploit, that's it. It's like, so, and maybe it's the empire complex, I don't know, but generally, like, Russians will use a bit more water than Finns. So you'll have a higher moisture content. Um, it might not always be heated as hot as in Finland. Like, sometimes, you know, 100 degrees Celsius is a is, is plenty usually in Russia. It, it usually wouldn't go higher, or you could go lower. Um, Finland, I've been in saunas in Finland that were above 100 degrees Celsius. Um, uh, Russians use more scents, more oils, more, um, you know, Finns generally have three. They kind of use all the time, pretty much, you know, maybe tar, birch, maybe mint, uh, beer, something like that. Uh, Russians will use a more uh, and combinations of scents. And um, did I say that? So the bundles of leafy twigs also in Russia tend to be bigger. So the vikta in Finland is sort of usually it's birch is the primary, you know, they'll be smaller. You might actually bring the actual bucket with the dipping water into the steam room. Russians don't do that by and large. Um, you'll leave the bucket outside, you dip the, the you know, the leaves in the, and you'll have bigger bundles, um, like two or three actually times the size of the ones in Finland. And a lot of oak too. You'll even get in the certain, you'll get young juniper sometimes, uh, linden, uh, birch of course is a big one too, but, um, and then you'll shake it out and carry it into the steam room. And uh, that's it. Yeah. And <laughs> so differences, yeah, yeah, we're kind of talking generalities because I've run across like maybe some older fins who are like, I sound at a lower temp with more steam, you know, like I hear things that's like, that sounds very Banya-esque or that I hear about some Banya with a high temperature, you know? Um, right. So would you, would you say like they're, <clears throat> if they were family members, Banya and Sauna, would you say they're siblings or would you say they're cousins? How, how close of, how close are they? Siblings. Siblings. Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, Yeah. No, I was just going to say that obviously one difference is if we are trying to get you know to the to the so to speak to the bottom of it is the one difference is the the this the stove the stove structure is different so this both heat the rocks but um, but and please correct me if I'm wrong here but you know in 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 Finnish tradition you know the rocks are visible they are right there even you know whether it's a smoke sun or whatever it is there's always rocks are right there excluding you know those those preheated ones. But um, but anyway, so in 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 the Russian banya, the the rocks are normally inside the uh, right the structure. So the, so there's like a big big uh, big structure. And you open the the cast iron gates and then you throw water inside. So so the steam is basically the same. But but in in Russian tradition, there's a it's kind of a kind of an happening, you know, somebody else is throwing the water for you, not you, you yourself. Right. Well, that would be in a big sort of city 
communal or town communal. Okay. Okay. Um, The the home private ones are the same as in Finland. You know, it's, you got the stove. Um, Mostly they're wood, um, wood burning. And then you have the rocks on top and you just make the lolu in Russian, you call it par, P-A-R. And, um, and it's up. Yeah. But the big city ones, for example, there aren't, you know, when I went to Finland, um, I'm trying to think this would have been around 2008. I actually had a chance to steam at the Finnish Sauna Society. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, you know, I forget the name. You would remember, you know, it's like, what's the name of that communal sauna in the neighborhood right outside the park where men sit out on the wall outside in Helsinki? Clean uh, steams. It like Sompa sauna or whatever. Or is yeah, I think it is. I think it is for something like. That. Yeah, there was just a scandal because a new uh, someone new moved into the building, uh, a woman, and she was complaining that men or weren't always so careful with their towels. Oh no, I think it's sometimes. A different one. I can't remember. Yeah, that. so I think that they have to sit somewhere differently before. But before you could, they would just sit outside on this wall. Um, yeah, across from the park, it's really pretty. But they have a big sort of steam room inside that's, you know, a stove. It's got tile on the outside, and I think it's heated yeah. by gas overnight. Yeah. And it's probably got, um, you know, the one I used to in, go to in, in Moscow uh, had, was filled with pig iron, uh, 14 tons of pig iron. And the stove itself was probably, I you know, I should have measured it. I don't think I measured it even for the book. It was maybe, like, so the steam room itself is the size of, like, a three-car garage, and maybe one and a half stories. And the stove itself is three quarters of one of the walls. And then it's maybe about six feet wide. And so you would open, there would be a, there's a picture of it actually in the book. Um, the hatch to get into the stove was like an old, like a torpedo hatch in a submarine. And you'd open it, make a sound. And you looked in and you saw all these cylinders, like logs of pig oranges glowing red. And the idea is, you know, you would take, when you threw the water, it was a, you throw sort of above you, you really couldn't see, but you could sort of hope. And with practice, you get to know you can help it sort of fall where you want it to, which is over the mound of uh, heated pig iron. So it would start to make steam actually like a comet, like the tail of a comet, like it would start to make steam, but the, the bulk of the water would hit beyond it. And when it hit right, it would go and it became, that was the sound of water becoming steam in an instant. And you knew oh. there's something in Russian. And, uh, you know, I don't know if there is in Finnish, actually. It's called um, light steam. So you can, and that, that's considered the ideal steam. If you can make light steam, it's considered the most euphoric kind of transportive. And uh, you can't always get it. I don't think, and generally, you can't get it by pouring over rocks. It's this kind of, it's not the slow release of steam. It's the boom. And it makes a sound. It sounds like, you know, if you're on a beach, you know, with erosion issues or, or the beach drops quickly. And so the waves come in and they hit the sand fast like that. That's the sound it makes. And you know, you got it. Like I have goosebumps remembering because if you can hit two or three of those throws of water in a row or something, maybe four, that's like, and then you shut the door and everyone comes in for the steam you're making. And you know you can see it on their faces as soon as they walk through the door. It's like it's 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 you you know it when you feel it, and it's like wow, this is like it makes you smile. This kind so of what 
what does it feel like? And then is it possible to replicate that like in a home sauna? Let's say someone wants to try and replicate that. You don't have the giant masonry heater that like, can you get close? I don't think, you know, you can get close. I think steam is great and whatever you like is great. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I know I've had steam that like, I'm not going to ever tell anyone ah, that's not right, or you could do better. Or, you know, like, if it makes you feel good and and it makes you smile and uh, something happens, <laughs> I think that's, you know, that's enough, really. Like, I know in my backyard sauna, it's uh, it's actually a Russian. You know, it's hard to feel warm toward things Russian these days, right, um, because of the politics and some of the cultural stuff. And so I'm always – I'm actually a little bit self-conscious – at this point, even having spent so much of my life in Russia, um, talking about it in these in these terms, um, separating what's happening today in the world and in the country in particular. But I know the steam I make in my tents on in the backyard isn't as transportive, say, as the steam I make in the Russian style banya outside Philadelphia, where the stove is bigger than an SUV. And it's built by Ukrainian living in New York. Um, and, you know, he and I have talked about it. It's uh, and it's great because the rocks are, are, are at a certain level. You can actually throw over the walk, rocks, the water, and it'll hit. And sometimes you actually get that sound. In Russian, you call it klapok. It's like a clap. And you know it. And then sometimes there are five people in the steam room. It's about the size of a two-car garage. Uh and this can be something we can talk about later or not. Like, cause I do steam a little bit differently that way. I have like a wand. I've been inviting Aero for years. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm coming. Uh, I'm coming. You know, I'm it's com- not that far a drive, by the way. <laughs> and, um, but I use different scents and combinations of scents and sometimes a heavy steam, sometimes a light steam. It depends on the energy that people bring in the room and, you know, but you can hit it. And I, I can't do that in my backyard sauna, but yeah. it's still great. You know, it's still great. <laughs> it, 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 it's sort of, it's so interesting that, that we spend so much time talking about the steam because I don't think that that concept is very well understood in North America per se. You know, we all know that most of the saunas, they have strict, you know, plaques that say that no water on the rocks and whatnot. So that steam, the actual steam part, people are missing completely most of the time. And uh, and by the way, I think that was Kotihar was name of that sauna in Helsinki, where you know where people men normally are not too careful, you know. <laughs> well, their- they, there's like a women's side too. They basically, I think they share the same stove. It's that big, so there's like yeah. a wall separating it. But what I wanted to say there, um, so beyond the Finnish Sauna Society, I actually I steamed there too, and there were there was a guy there. I have his name in my notes. I'm sorry, I didn't. It's been years since I've referred to them, uh, who was taking tours, uh, Finnish people, um, into Russian Karelia, you know, west of uh, Viborg, former Finland, uh, where there are these old, big, substantial banyas that were crumbling because Russia, you know, the, either the municipality couldn't, you know, in Russia, there's a crisis in banya culture because uh, banyas don't make as much money as other ventures. And so um, a lot of people are suffering. Like it's kind of 
banya culture is moving back to its roots. You know, people are building houses in the country and building their own banyas. There are less communal banyas. Before, that's a whole thing to talk about. I mean, there was, you know, they wash your clothes. You'd have a, a de-lousing chambers. You'd have, some of it was mandatory just for hygiene. You know, the Soviet period, it's a different thing. But uh, so they were sort of crumbling through lack of attention and lack of resources. And Afin was taking people into Russia to experience these uh, mag- sort of magnificent stoves. You know, they're not magnificent to look at. They're not beautiful, <laughs> but they make a good steam. And he was doing a, a basically a sauna tour or banya tour of these, um, you know, three or four times a year, as he explained to me. So uh, that's, I guess that's a, a, a digression that I thought was relative. But um I think maybe Eero, maybe the sauna society can uh we can take uh start bringing lawyers who make these decisions for <laughs> all the all the the uh fitness centers that have the saunas that say you can't put water on. Like maybe we should start bringing the lawyers to good steam so they can experience a better steam than you can get it at these uh Ys and gyms. And maybe they'll they'll write the rules differently. But I think it's lawyers who are deciding without even knowing what you know it, it's, it's it definitely yeah it's it's definitely it's 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 definitely in the air it's definitely in the air this you know there's there there is a movement of of getting to the real deal to get into the real sound but not that's not mainstream yet but it is and 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 for one thing like like um you know we we love to do these uh the upper bench podcast and uh, not only that but but we are all the three of us are you know, linked to to all kinds of activities. One of them being the uh, we are working on, as you probably know, Brian, working on the sound ambassador system. That would be the you know the boots on the ground kind of a thing. You know, it's just like, and 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 you know we don't. It, it's still thermal therapy, so we don't want to be hostile. It's just like you know this this is a happy thing, nevertheless. But but you know we've spent like half an hour talking about steam here, and uh, and uh, most yeah, of the. Yeah, as it should be, and but many of the listeners are clueless. What we, you know, you're talking about that bam and that sound, like everything. I can visualize that, and I'm, I'm sort of like that. That slow steam is a very, very interesting concept, and and hence, like you know, in the in the Finnish sabu sauna, you, uh, I know that it's not the same thing, but you tend to, you have to, like you know, if you're if you're not a little rookie, like I sometimes tend to be, you know, just. Bring one. You take one spot and you pour all the water very slowly to that same spot, and the idea is exactly the same. So it goes down and not stays on the uh, surface. Can I say something, Ero? I was in Kuopio, um, in sort of Easter Lake district of Finland, um, a year and a half ago, and my my girlfriend's from from there, and um, I went to the smoke sauna. I'm trying to think of the name Ralph Ruff Rach Racha. It has to do with peaceful lake. Okay. Finish. Yeah. Um, okay. It's kind of like a working museum. And it's only open a couple of days a week, I think. Um, and I happen to be there and it's really big. And it was actually the first time I saw there was so there was a mix of people there. There were tourists, there were locals and younger people and older people. And everyone wears a bathing suit, it's co-ed. Um, even though Finland, you usually don't wear a bathing suit. Um, and and I saw someone do that for the first time, actually. Uh, like So people were trying to make steam, taking their turns, a big pile of stones. 
you know, and some the 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 um, you think okay, you just spread it across over the rocks, you're going to get the nicest steam. And an older guy who'd been going there since he was a boy, he just takes the ladle and held it in one spot and poured slowly, deep, so it got to the stones at the very bottom yeah. of where you know where the stove is heated. And he mm-hmm. maybe put two ladles like that, and that was beautiful steam. It was a light steam. And, yeah. and I had never seen that happen before. And it wasn't, and I didn't think that would, I didn't think intuitively that would have been the way to do it, but it was. And, and I have to say one more thing. I for, uh I for, I don't mind to give the Finns their props as well. And the difference between the Banya and the sauna, Christopher, sorry, I didn't mention this earlier, but Finns saunas generally have handle um, uh, structurally ventilation better. Um, usually with a, a lower window, a higher window, keeping air moving. Russians are lazier about that, less. Um, and, you know, I, I can, I feel like I've, I live there long enough. I can say this, I can generalize. <laughs> but the one thing I've always noticed is uh, in Russian, you call it Nidostatka in the Russian banya is ventilation. And the Finns have it nailed. And I, I think uh, as far as moving forward, um, uh, you know, with, uh, you know, saw an ambassador, like, you know, structurally, that would be definitely something to have to pay attention to um, in new new construction or retrofitting older saunas. Well, and that's where I would love to see sauna culture and banya culture, since you said they're siblings, like you can steal your sibling's sweater or your, you know, your sibling's clothes. You wouldn't take it from your cousin per se, but like they need to like, they need to be borrowing from each other and really having a robust exchange. Um, There's so many like cultural aspects and I see a little bit of it happening, for instance, in the, in the, the sauna hat, you know, which seems to be more of a Russian thing, but I do see some uh, sauna goers adopting that. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of the sauna hat. Me too. <laughs> I don't uh, and Risto, you know, we we kind of not to to go back just a, a little bit on the rocks and the steam. You know, Risto, you and I had kind of talked about this briefly offline. You know, what does it take to create good steam at home? You know, with your with your rocks, and I love how we talked about you know picking a spot and pouring it in a specific spot let that water go down um i know on my wood stove i know if i've you know kind of overdone it you know it, it's got some metal uh shrouds on the outside of the stove and if i kind of overdo it and or I spill a little bit more out i can hear those kind of the the heat will actually make them kind of pop in or out you know just enough to kind of give it a little bit of a boom but um it really finding that superheated that that perfect spot on your stove at least for me on my wood stove you know keeping a little bit closer to where the you know the exhaust pipe is you're going to get a little bit hotter metal there um you know the rock pile around where the actual chimney is is a little bit hotter i've you know i've been in there with a laser and, and thermometer and all that jazz and gotten scientific with it but after you know, when you're sitting five feet away from it and you're throwing water from either a bottle or a, a ladle, um, you know, you're always just kind of aiming for that spot. You know, I love Brian when you talk about that. You you don't really you you're you're just kind of giving it out there. And and after a while, you you've got the you've got the right length, you've got the right arc, 
whatever it is, and you're hitting that great spot. At least on my wood stove, I know if if all that water is gone in under seven, five, seven seconds, my rocks are good. I'm getting a good steam off of them. But if it's too early or too late and those are too cold and I'm getting just steam sound for a couple minutes, I know my stove is just not hot enough. Hmm. And that spot shifts right over time mm-hmm. the rocks degrade like i can the one i go to in philadelphia where i can't really see into the stove it's it's like above my head and it's filled with um two different kinds of rocks maybe you know more than six feet tall um and wider and so and it's heated up by gas overnight and in the mornings and then it's shut off and so the rocks hold that heat all day and so it's better to go in the morning when say the temperature is like 220 degrees, you can always cool down a steam room. You can't heat up a steam room. So that's where the steam making um, is kind of crucial because you can create the illusion of a steam room being hotter um, by the amount of water you use, the the amount of water that's in the steam. And if I wait, like if two weeks, three weeks pass and I haven't been to that banya again and I go and I'm, you know, I have a sort of ladle that I, it's almost like the discus thrower movement uh, to get it in that because the rocks have shifted, they, they start to degrade from the heat and the water. Uh, I, it takes me sometimes one or two sort of sweats, steam sessions, um, seances to hit that spot again. You have to find it and you can't see it. And it's, it's only by sound. It's really beautiful. It's part um, science and it's part intuition. Yeah. And some of it is a mystery always. <laughs> yeah. It's a perfect, perfect balance between the two. Um, or imperfect. Great. Very often for me, I don't get it right. And then I get it right. And it's, and it's like, wow. Okay. <laughs> do you think, do you think maybe the poor ventilation in, in, you know, previous banyas or, or maybe in that, that side of the house, is it maybe geared towards the mentality of trying to keep the steam in the room? Um you know, like we said, Banya is historically a bit lower temperature, higher humidity. Maybe there's some rationale behind, maybe I don't want a bunch of ventilation because I want to keep that steam in. Yeah, it, I, I don't know. I didn't find an answer for that per se in the book or anyth- anything I read um, to write the book. I know historically, like in Finland uh, too, the Banyas in the northern, the colder temperatures are, tend to be smaller because, you know, um, you, you need more wood to heat them. And sometimes there are places like Taiga, like there's, there's very little wood, there's very little forest. Um, you know, you really have to take care of what you have. So that could be one of the things because obviously heat does escape. Um, and in the South and the Southwest, which tend to have a less widespread banya culture in the country, they tend to be more expansive, the actual rooms themselves. And it's generally not as cold in the winter. So that could obviously have something to do with it. But it's a mistake, I think. Uh, but it could be if you have scarce resources, maybe it, it was smart at some point. Maybe well, and it's, it's very much the invisible part of sauna. It's really hard to key in on that, you know. So it, it makes sense that it gets missed. Um, it it's Yeah, it's uh, we just rebuilt our sauna in our backyard. And putting the boards back together, the the wood, it's it's so terrible. Everything's twisted and there's gaps in the walls. And 
but you know, it just makes me realize like a really good sound of breathes, you know, mm. it needs to, it needs to have lots of fresh air. And even with our gaps, we still probably need more in ours. Um, yeah, so- Rista was the one that turned me on to, you know, the, the term a drafty sauna and, yeah, that it, it that to me is is a great sauna. I, and I don't I don't try to be scientific with it, but I the door on my sauna has a gap pretty much uh, on three sides of it. Um, and and that's it works well for me. My my wood stove pulls in plenty of fresh air. It mixes well in in there. I I don't have solid top benches. I have slat benches so that even air can flow around the benches, um, which I and they dry out nice. Um, so yeah, keep the air flowing, people. That's uh, it, 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 there's a, obviously if you follow social media, there's a constant constant fight going on about this ventilation. But people have understood that ventilation is extremely important. Uh, I've been using my aunt's house in the Finnish archipelago for the past two or three years, and it has a sauna. And it, it's kind of very, you know, before this thing started, you know, to become scientific, you know, it's kind of a, a kind of a very, very typical setup that we have there. It's just like we have that gap underneath the door, and then what we have is this this uh, innovation called a window. So, so you basically open the window and then you get as much air as you, you know, and you get the, rid of the CO2. But, but I'm, you know, I'm obviously not, not against good ventilated sauna and, 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 and we, particularly in North America, it's even more important because, you know, most of these stoves are electric and they don't have that same draw as uh, wood burning stoves have. So it, it, it is one of the central issues. So you're absolutely Brian right. Can I make a another vote, like another experience? So making steam at the Banya outside Philadelphia, you know, when you can have, let's say a dozen people to anywhere to like 30 some people in this one steam room, you're like three levels of bleachers, basically shelves, um, you know, benches. And there's only one little, in Russian, you call it a fortichka, a little window in the upper corner and, and the door that you used to get in and you know, anyone who steams frequently knows the feeling when, when there isn't, hopefully you don't know the feeling really well, but when you're there's, there should be more oxygen in the room and it's not, yeah. it's, yeah. it's you, it like Christopher was saying, like Uristo was saying, sorry. Uh, like you can't, it's a feeling, uh, but it's also helps you, you know, your body react to what's happening and, uh, you know, uh, adapt because I mean, it's a stress on the body, right? So, um, what we usually do, um, is I actually I'll open that little window near the ceiling. I open the actual door. Um, there are actually two doors, actually. I open both into the hallway of this big steam room and I have a sheet, like a, a twin sheet. And I put one person stands on one bench. I stand on the other and we actually raise it up and down like a ship sail. And we'll do it maybe pushing the sort of stale air, air out the door. And the idea, and this is something I learned in Moscow, where we actually had in that steam room uh, a propeller uh, right mm. below the ceiling on a pipe. And there is a picture in the book about it, I think. And, you know, Grisha and I would spin it. And one direction you pull in fresh air, um, one direction you push out stale stale air and the idea was between every steam sort of seance you'd sort of break down the steam room to neutral as close as you could 
and then build the steam you wanted. Maybe the steam you wanted for this time was a heavy steam, a lot of moisture, maybe a different scent like wormwood or uh, garden lovage, or I didn't know. You, there are all kinds of beautiful scents. Uh, or maybe you want a light steam, but if you can break it down and you have a strong enough stove that's heated well enough, you can build whatever you want. You're not really losing much if you have that luxury of wood or a good stove. Um, but I think uh, having enough oxygen is a big deal. Well, and and I think like a really big room helps. It kind of gives you a little bit of forgiveness for that anyways, because you have more air to start with. I, you know, I think at least that's right. been my experience. Um right. I visited some um, some different banyas in North America, and I tell people, you know, the best public saunas in North America are banyas. Um, and they, you know, because they have the giant heaters and then those big rooms. And maybe the big room is also part of the magic of getting that light steam, you know, the hot rocks and then the big room. Yeah. 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 yeah that- so, Brian, what, what's the favorite scent? For like you mentioned, you're, you're a big scent guy. I, I gotta, I gotta ask, what is the best scent? I don't know if I should say so much. I think because it's like sometimes you have to feel it, right? So yep. the one thing I can say, like I'm, it, it sounds like okay. You guys invited me here. I wrote a book. Maybe I'm an authority or something. Like, I, I mean, I have some experience and. So, sorry, like, I'm not you, answering this quite well. You use? Are we talking essential oils? Are we talking? Okay. Are we talking so, the water from the soaking of the of the branches, or are both? Yeah. Okay. It, the home <clears throat> sauna, the home steam room, is different than the communal steam room. Uh, so I will say, I think the basic sense in my in the arsenals i i actually have a box like a sort of like a toolbox or like a, a lure like a fishing tackle type box and then i i have actually two and it sounds like i'm really nerdy about it really i'm not they're kind of piles of bottles every one one or two leak between every session i'm like ah you know i'm gonna put this right the next time i come back and i'm too tired i just anyway so i'm pulling these things and it's a feeling it's like what time of year is it what is the weather like What's the temperature of the stove? Sometimes you come in, it's 193 degrees when you're starting. Right? Yeah. You, when yeah. you have a stove that's 193 degrees, it's only going to go down. You can only make heavier steams. You need to create the illusion of more heat, uh, higher temperatures through more moisture. Uh, that means more water on the rocks. That means the stove keeps dropping its temperature. Right? Um, certain scents work better with heavier steam certain scents work better with light steams i have a, i have a stove that's 220 degrees i can do anything i want i can knock it down to 200 i can make any steam i want light heavy any scent i want i come in it's 185 degrees i got 25 people coming in they're they're absorbing the heat they're giving off more moisture like it's a very fluid thing maybe political uh current events like people are carrying a certain stress a certain fear uh you know, maybe it's cold. It's like, like all these things. It's like this. It's kind of that's where the whole mystery is, right? <laughs> You're so kind of so eucalyptus, space. right? Well, so the basics. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> the basics: beer, uh, mint. Uh, I love. I prefer a mint if I can get it. It's a Russian. It's called nastoika. It's on. It's it's natural mint with spirit on pure spirit. It's not an oil. 
Um, okay, so that's cool. Yeah, you can I, get I'm, them. Yeah, we're gonna well, have to. I think we're gonna have to expand on this because I. I mean, I'm a. I've got maybe one or two. Right, Risto, you. I saw a handful. You got. You got a handful of them. Yeah, and, we have and a box Brian, of I think, different ones. Yeah, I think I think you hit the nail on the head. You, you can't. I mean, I don't eat a jelly donut every day, and even when I do, it's not always the same flavor. So, same with sense. You know, it's got to go along with you know the mood, the atmosphere, and and uh, you know from what you're telling me, a great you know something actually something I want to try now is creating scents on different temperatures. And I'll tell you and, this. Yeah. So. so I, I usually have like a wand, like a fan on a pole. It's sort of like fabric stretched over a fishing net. So I, I kind of move the steam over people and usually paying most of the attention to the upper bench. I make steam for the people at the top. If it's not hot enough for you, move up. If it's too hot, move down. But I mix yeah. steam for the people at the top and then everyone adjusts how they want. But I'll put, say, like an orange as the base steam. But I'll put juniper on the fabric. And so you've got this base steam, people come in, and then there's this accent of juniper. I, I might do um, salt steams where I mix some salt in the water and throw it in, and it's great for the inhalation. Sometimes you, can, you can't – it doesn't burn your eyes or anything, but you might be able to taste it on your lips. And I'll use like a, a grapefruit with that, like a pink grapefruit, or um, which is also good with a nice herbal thing on the wand. Beer is great as the base. I might put some white – grapefruit on the wand maybe a little bit of lemon there's something cold pressed lime i've done a weird one that's that's pretty wonderful i've done leather in the past (laughs) i've done orange bitter orange versus a sweeter orange with a little bit of black pepper oil on the wand and you know it depends on the group of people some people are weirded out uh you know you hit the basics first fir pine eucalyptus uh mint and beer uh, I think those are the four basics. And then then you, I've done, um, I'll gr- go get some fresh garlic and grate it. And I'll soak it like in a basin at the base of the stove for a couple of steams. And then I'll actually strain it and sometimes throw that water in the stove. So it, it it's garlic that doesn't smell like food. It smells like a plant. Mm. It's weird. Most people don't think they'll like it. And then you, you look around and people are smiling, looking at each other. Like it's interesting. I've done that with... Um, horseradish root but that's a little tougher so it can be a little more cutting but depending on the time of year it might be just what you need you know sometimes it's a stretch sometimes i've struck struck out uh, in russia they'll often use um uh, mustard powder um but you sort of lightly brown at home and you bring in you soak in hot water you make like a broth you strain it and you'll throw that on it but it depends how the mustard powders is used and i've i generally stay away from that now I hit it once and I struck out three times with it. I'll just, we have enough options. So uh, that's something Sounds I don't like it. I mean, that, I mean, you, you like, I mean, I think you probably listed off eight or nine different scents that I wouldn't have even thought about. And, and I think that, that, that alone is an awesome takeaway for me because I mean, I'm going to be like, you know, a uh, master chef out there now. I'm kind of the one, excited. The one thing I found as far as finding these oils at a decent price um, you know, in a big steam room, you don't want the most expensive oils because you lose them. You always splash it on wood if you can. You know, you don't want to put it on like a a, a tile or, you know, uh, some kind of covered surface. It, generally, you splash it on wood. You Generally, you don't. At a home sauna, you actually mix it with water and put it over the rocks. 
in the communal sauna, you don't put it on the rocks. You actually put it on the wood. Um, and, um, and there's a company, I don't, I try to stay away from Amazon, but, uh, it's called mystic moments. I think it's actually Indian oil, but they sell it. It comes through London basically via Amazon and you can get good quantities of above average oils for decent prices. Otherwise it gets really expensive. And it can, I've, I've bought small bottles of eucalyptus that were maybe a couple of milliliters for the same price as I have a half a quart. Um, and so, yeah. And, and like you said, right, that's a great point here because not all of those essential oils or, or scents or anything that you're putting in a heated environment, they're not created equally. I've had some, some really bad ones. I've had some really good ones and you know, right away when you've got a bad one right. um it, it's it's gonna be rough and the best course of action there is open the door pour the water <laughs> fresh water <laughs> right yeah you're right exactly yeah you yeah. knock it out sometimes you miss and then you got to break the down the bond you get you make it new yeah yeah exactly. yeah, yeah i've done awesome. that you know i need three hands to count the times i've done that so and then yeah. you've got 25 people outside the door waiting and it's like i'm like hold on guys i think i overdid it yeah. and you yeah. wait 10 more minutes you know yeah but uh, the rest of what are you what do you have there in your hand what do you have there oh okay so this is last night we introduced two new people to sauna we i had uh sounded with their son and he brought his parents over so they were newbies but we used uh essential oils uh, a couple of them are a mix, and then I've got a spruce and a balsam pine. And these are kind of, we tend to, at least I tend towards the pine realm. I love those kind of smells in the in the sauna. But they, when I put the water on with the oils, they were like, oh, yeah, that's that was their favorite. You know, they're like, it was, it was a must for them. It's one of my favorites, too. One thing I was surprised by is black spruce. Um, my, before that, my go-to pine was a Siberian fir, uh, which is beautiful. It really does smell like a forest, you know, you go in and people, they come in, stop talking, you know, like it's a really great feeling. And, but this black spruce, which I'd never heard of, I kind of bought on a whim. I don't know. That's also, if you can find it at a reasonable price, it's a beautiful, uh, piney scent. I think it, it, there's a there's something to be said too about the power of scent in our lives, not just in sauna or banya, but scent has so much to do with you know tying memories together, tying you know specific moments, and creating a whole picture. Which I think you know, luckily the you know the the squares in our pockets and you know the earbuds that you're listening to, they don't have smell o vision yet, um, but when they crack that code. That'll be a whole new ball game because it it really is for me. There are powerful scents that just bring up an emotion, and it may be good, bad, and different for multiple people. But you, there's always that you know that peach whatever smell that grandma was cooking you know years ago, or you know fresh baked whatever, um, and you tie it to a memory. And I think you know Brian, it sounds like you're creating unique experiences that maybe tie to a specific scent that people maybe not. You know, I I wasn't even realized that this was going to be a thing. But now I bet you if they ever smell, you know, citrus, mustard and beer and, and all these things, you know, down the road, all of a sudden they're going to go, hey, that reminds me of that time I was in the in the banya with Brian. 
Right. Interesting. I love the the beers that work best are the real simple ones, like the sort of German Pilsner. Basic ingredients. Yeah. Or I found like some wheat beers um, are beautiful, but it's the kind when you come in and it smells like bread is baking in the house or wherever mm-hmm. at yeah. breaking bed. Right. And, and it really does feel like a blanket like around you and you're just, it's uh, you know, and then maybe I'll put some, you know, mint or, um, you know, you, you look through the, the box of oils you got and it's like, Oh yeah, this work, you know, and put a little bit of that. Or like I said, the white grapefruit is actually really nice with the beer um, on the fan, on the fabric. And so you yeah. get, yeah, it's, it's like it's Sochitania you'd say in Russian. It's like this sort of, yeah. And then, um, but I agree. Yeah. Sometimes I'll smell something and it reminds me of course uh, of a banya or some other experience. But. Right. And, and there's also different le- levels to that thing because it's like you know it, it's the it's the smells it's the sounds it's it's but it's also you know I don't I never ever eat before sauna but after sauna it's nice to have a little light snack and and I was actually a week ago it was one of the new spas here in in Brooklyn New York and we were served a pine cone jelly with crackers. And that was awesome. It, it brings you, you know, to that very, you know, world, to that universal. Hey, uh, I can see clearly now that uh, we have to, Brian, we have to invite you back to this show because there's uh, there's uh, there's too much stuff and there are time limits, you know, even though we love to hear ourselves, but people tend to, um, you know, maybe even listening to our show grow tired when we are like way past an hour deadline. But But the question at this point is, uh, with light steam written by you, uh, somebody wants to buy this book where he or she should go. Um, anywhere it's available. So uh, it was published, um, by University Press, uh, Northern Illinois University Press, which actually at the time had, um, sort of the best series in English of books on Russian. Uh, it's not, like I said, it's not an academic text, but, um, but the press since was bought out, basically were taken over by Cornell University Press. So um, you, from their website, any independent bookstore, if they don't have it in stock, which is probably likely at this point, uh, they can order it for you and it, you don't have to pay shipping and you help your local bookstore. Um, but all the, you know, Amazon and uh, Barnes and Noble, they all have it too. Or bookshop.org, which sends, um, you know, a portion of its profits to independent booksellers to try to keep them in business. Um, cause the difference is I'll tell you not to go too long, too much longer. Uh, Amazon demands from publishers at least a 55% discount on the book. So let's say the book costs 10 bucks. Amazon will pay the publisher $4 and 50 cents. Um, uh, sometimes it's 57%. I've heard I haven't. So, but book, your independent bookseller gets a 45% discount. So they'll pay five fifty for the book. So if you buy it, uh, from someone small, you're giving the press a little bit more money. You know, I don't really see much in the way of royalties. It's okay. <laughs> but, uh, and then you're also helping support a local business. So you can get them anywhere. Um, there's, it's still in print, fortunately. And that's thanks to the press and stray readers, I guess. Yeah. And there's so many details. I'm going to echo Arrow's invite. Um, I would love to have you back on. I have like a whole list of things. Let me preview a few of them. If we if we're able to have you back on, I would like to talk about some of these, maybe just to kind of 
uh, wet our listeners' appetite, but like I would like to talk about Igor Ivanovich and the sauna builder that you mentioned, his story, which has kind of influenced my thinking on sauna building. Uh, the the bath the in the oven, the banya in the oven that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, drinking teas between rounds. We talked about essential oils, but we didn't get into the tea drinking, which is a an interesting difference. And um, let me see if I have anything else. Oh, the Banya stove built by engineers of nuclear submarines. So <laughs> we have a lot that we could talk about in another episode. And I hope yeah, that we're able yeah, to. It, join us for season three with Brian. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, 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 I have to say, and I probably should apologize because I know it's better to talk if I see podcasts and conversations, sometimes someone goes on too long and I always be like, nah, I don't want to be that guy. And I, I have a little bit, I know at certain points today and I apologize. I, it's uh, partly since the pandemic, right? The, the sort of community has been less the connection. Um, and so it's nice to, get a chance to sort of, um, you know, I'm, I'm partly helping caregive, like caregiver for my mom. Uh, I spend a lot of time at her house. Uh, I work from home. I don't get, I'm not interacting with people as much and let alone, especially about, uh, you know, steam culture. And uh, so it's a real pleasure. And, uh, um, you know, thanks for inviting me on. <laughs> and can people, can people connect? Like you said, you go to that, that Banya, um, do you, would you like our listeners to come join some there sometime? How does sure. that work? Sure. I used to, you know, I used to have a Facebook group, uh, that it got kind of big. I, I have websites. Um, they're down right now because I'm maintaining them myself and, uh, the threats are getting, you know, the attacks are getting so big. It's kind of past, it's getting past my, um, it's, it's my, my, my skill as far as, uh, up, upkeeping, updating a website, like, I, I have to decide, am I going to do it or not <laughs> anymore? So I've let them, I put them on uh, sleep. So um, my, so I don't make steam at a regular schedule anymore. I, I generally just kind of show up and make steam for whoever's there. And sometimes I'll call people who I know really love it. And I'll say, Hey, I'm going to be there Saturday morning, but generally it's always Saturday morning because, um, and it's about twice a month I make steam and uh and I start right at 9.30. First steam is usually by 10 o'clock. And I go in the mornings because that's when the stove is strongest. And I can make any damn – generally, unless I'm out of it, I can make any steam I want uh, for whoever's there. Um, and the longer you go, the later you show up at the banya, the more other people have been there. Some people think making steam is just throwing as much water as you can in the stove. And, and there's an expression in Russian called drowning the stove. You can drown the stove. And then you're stuck. You don't have as many options with the kinds of steams you want to make. And really you're doing it for other people. Like you're kind of feeling intuitively what they need and what they, you know, uh, how to try to transport them. And so, um, so I try to go, again, I'm talking too long. I start around 10 o'clock in the morning, two Saturdays a month. You could email email me at uh, brianmack at gmail.com. Um, I, but right now I don't have like a schedule. I, I thought about it, um, but it's, I, I kind of just like to show up and whoever's there and uh, you know, 
Okay, we'll put, we'll put we, your absolutely. we'll put your email in the sh- in the show notes, and then uh, people can reach out, and hopefully one of these days I can reach out. You know, when I'm on the East Coast again. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say I don't want to. I was gonna say, hey, why don't you guys come? Well, we'll do a steam. We could even do it from the steam. There are places in the actual banya, like rooms, that we could talk that aren't. We could even talk in the steam room if we're mm-hmm. there early enough and there aren't too many people. There's a great Georgian restaurant down the street. Could go have Georgian food afterwards. It's like, and it's the real, you know, it's really, it's like Georgia. It's uh, in some ways better than food I've had in Georgia. So it's like, um, it's a real lovely experience. But I know it's a, a lot to travel for you, Risto and Sam, not so much. Ero, I, I know, I know. I'm, I, yeah. here by now. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm going to take you up on that. Yeah, I'll drive up sure. and pick up Ero. I've heard that before. <laughs> I, can, I can fly out. I can fly. Yeah. So we're going to, we will do that eventually. So thanks again, guys. I, I, thanks. Thanks. Thanks, uh, Brian. Thank you so much. This has been an excellent episode. Yeah. I oh. love it. Love the conversation, Brian. I'm looking forward to meeting you. And, and I'm going to extend the same to you. If you find yourself in the South, come on down. Thank you. West Northwestern corner, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Blue, just at the start of the Blue Ridge Mountains, the best sauna in town. All right. Don't be surprised. You know, I, I might. <laughs> hey, I, I'm going to I'm going to go start it up right now. But everybody, thank you for tuning in and listening today um, from all of us here at the upper bench. Um, you know, we also just want to um, show you guys, hey, if you guys do want to communicate with us or get in touch with Brian, get in touch with, you know, Arrow, Risto, myself, um, drop us a line, drop us a comment. You can email us or, you know, you can sign up for our new Patreon and kind of join over to the uh, the community. We've got some offline events that we're planning. We've got some offline talks that we're going to be doing. And, hey, you can just text us now. So um, take a look, Patreon, The Upper Bench. Thank you all for coming today.